The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome back to our refuge class. And I'm happy to be sharing this with you. And um, the refuges are very evocative in Buddhism. They're very, or very meaningful for many people. The refuges are one of the primary symbols or representations or kind of little kind of compact representation of uh, people's, many people's uh, connection to the, to their practice, to Buddhism, to the path of practice. And it's so, you know, shortened, this short and brief, you know, two, three things, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And, uh, you know, we, as I think I've said, I, I don't know if the word refuge, the English word, was necessarily the best choice for the Pali word sarana. Um, sarana, that's the Pali sarana, just has a very sweet, kind of sweet, nice feeling to me. You know, when I when I hear it being pronounced, refuge. You know, it's it's, it's not as uh, for me. It's the, the word refuge doesn't automatically evoke in and of itself some heartfelt feeling, something. Um, but the concept of refuge in Buddha Dharma Sangha does. And um, as I've said, you know, the tradition is that uh, it involves a number of things. It involves um, having an understanding that we take refuge in or we're protected by or that we're supported by. There's an intention or an orientation we choose to make we feel there's, some, there's a path here for us. There's a way of living a life. There's a way of orienting our life that we've discovered, that we understand, and there's intention to, to follow that. So in that sense, going for refuge is not a passive thing. You go into the, you know, you, you escape into the place where you can be, you know, into the, from the, all the dangers of the world by going into the, the old days, the, ch- the, the, the church was a refuge. If you, someone was after you, you'd go, into a church and they would leave you alone there. So is it, you know, the, um, but rather it's, you know, there's some, it's an active part of refuge. You step forward and you, this is how you want to step forward into the world, how you want to live, something like that. And then there's, you know, the heartfelt quality. And I suppose that means something different for everyone. But uh, there's some sense of heartfeltness or wholeheartedness that the, the emotional connection to this thing that some people have. I hope that for each of you that, um, or the spirit of this ceremony that I'll offer next week is that, um, is not that you have to shoehorn yourself into some Buddhist idea of what it means to be a Buddhist, Buddhist idea of what it means to refuges and you have to kind of like now believe in the creed um, but rather, uh, the spirit is the opposite. Then, more like Buddhism has to fit into you. <laughs> um, you know, the uh, the idea being that 
hopefully that there's something inside of you that you understand that's been changed, some orientation, some directions, some intentions, some, something that's touched your heart or touched something meaningful for you that you want to live by, that you want to orient yourself by. And that the, the Triple Refuge, Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha, you see in those a kind of mirror of yourself. You see in that, or you like to see in those, something you already know for yourself. And so the spirit of the ceremony is that is to affirm and celebrate uh, and maybe commit to something which is already your own. Not that you're now taking on something outside. That's kind of what I have more in mind. So, that, uh, so what this means for each of you will be different from each other. And that kind of adds to the wonderful richness of the community, different ways people come to it. So the last refuge is, uh, the third is uh, Sangha. And the word Sangha uh, means something like an association, uh, society and association, so association of people. And um, so it's you know, considered in some ways on par with the Buddha and the Dharma, or, you know, or at least kind of they all held together as a t- the triple refuge. So there's something about the association of people practice Buddhism, which is considered a refuge, a support, a representation. It represents an orientation, a way of living. It's a protection. It's something that we can feel somehow connected to. When I uh, was a new uh, practitioner, and I I started meditating uh, every day, I had meditated on and off a little bit um, when I was, you know, really young. But then when I was 22, I started meditating seriously. Uh, every day and uh, I did it twice a day and it was the last two years in college and it was very nice for me and to um, do that meditation and then during that time I would go down to um, Zen Center to visit sometimes and uh, San Francisco Zen Center and every few months I go down there to maybe stay a few days or something and one of the things that um, I discovered when I went to Zen Center is I would talk to the people there especially the more senior practitioners there. And I would try playing out all the social games that I played with my friends in college to get their approval, to get them to like me, to get them to think I'm great or something. And, um, and um, my friends, you know, they were, they were you know, co-conspirators in this whole thing about building up the self. And so they kind of merrily played along, you know, and, and it was all great. I didn't even know I was doing it. But at Zen Center, uh, I would do it, and uh, there'd be no response. They weren't going to participate. They're not playing that game. And, uh, and what it felt like to me was that in their non-response, they were nice people, basically, but in their non-response, I, I was mirrored. I, was, I saw myself more clearly. It's like what I was trying to do bounced back at me, and I got to see it much more clearly. And I was really impressed by this. I thought, this is great. I want to be around these people because I'd rather learn what I'm doing that's kind of a little bit off and correct for it than to go along merrily doing it unconsciously because I don't see it. And so I eventually moved to Zen Center and to live there. And one of those things, so what it did, being in community, being with those people, is that um, I didn't so much, I didn't, it wasn't like I was conforming to them, conforming to the group, 
but rather I was becoming more myself. The idea of having people like me and fitting in, that was all conforming that I had before. My connection to the Buddhist community, the Sangha at Zen Center, was not about conforming to them, but having the community support me to become more fully myself. But the kind of myself that's not caught up in myself or building myself or preoccupied with myself or self-centered. And so when I was with these people at Zen Center, I could see my self-centeredness. I could see all that operating. And so it helped me uh, let go of it or not operate on it or not believe in it as much. And so I became freer as, an, as a person in that process. And so one of the tasks of a Sangha uh, is uh, to help you become more yourself or become freer in yourself. And you don't become freer by joining a group and just conforming blindly to the group. And, uh, and you know, some people come to Buddhism thinking, maybe because of their own religious background, that in order to be a good member of the religion, you're supposed to conform. You're supposed to, um, you know, believe a certain creed. That's what it means in some, some religions. So what's, what are you supposed to believe in Buddhism? And I've seen some people come with that attitude and they think they have to believe the whole package. And there's some bizarre things in Buddhism. And so they think like it's all or nothing. And so it's like, then they, you know, they're kind of like, they can never quite settle on it. And, um, but I, I was felt very lucky because no one told me it was all or nothing. <laughs> and so um, I kind of happily saw, happily enough saw a lot of strange things in Buddhist teachings, but I didn't think that I had to take it all. I, I didn't feel like it was all necessary and essential parts of it. It's just, you know, different things are there. And so, so some people, it's the creed, the belief that they have to kind of, they have to, other people, they join and they feel like they have to kind of look and act like everyone else. And when I first came to Zen Center, there was a lot of that. And, um, and the uniform of Zen Center in 19, late 1970s was an Amish vest, gray Amish vest, a, uh, what was called back then was called fat pants, and uh, a Danish school bag. And, and if you really want to get into it, you got uh, prayer beads. And you saw all these people walking around with their vests and their fat pants and, their, you, know, and the, you know, they were all kind of doing their, you know, doing their, you know, Buddhist thing. And uh, it was nice. It probably was convenient clothes, maybe. But uh, it seemed a little odd. Birkenstocks also. The, uh, and one of the ways people conform to Buddhist groups uh, is that uh, generally Buddhist groups uh, put a premium on being nice, being kind to each other. I think it's generally kind of a premium we have. And that's sometimes unfortunate because then if, you, if you're feeling kind of surly, <clears throat> you know, and, and not so kind uh, or angry, you know, um, then, you know, then you people stuff it, they hide it, they pretend it's not there and, and it kind of gets relegated to the back, back room, you know, it's pushed, pushed aside. And, um, and I think that's inevitable. I mean, any, anytime you have a group coming together, there's something they value and and so then the things they don't value, you're kind of a little bit shy to show. And 
So it's a little bit one of the issues that Buddhist groups have to be careful for, that we don't um, uh, push into the shadows aspect of ourselves that are important actually to address. The, um, but luckily we have a practice, and the meditation practice is supposed to be a corrective, it can be a corrective, to any of the uh, unfortunate ways that people participate in a community, or any unfortunate ways that Buddhist communities Every culture has its shadow side. And you can't help it. So it's not like a bad thing. It just comes along with the territory. But when you have a practice that goes together with the culture, then the, the practice is a corrective. Practice highlights it and shows it and helps you not get caught in it. And part of the practice is the practice in community. And so one of them is being mirrored by others or having other people, seeing how other people are practicing and being inspired by that person has a degree of freedom and ease, then maybe you can discover that for yourself. And so, uh, so in a sense, a sangha is helping you become free of community, <laughs> or free of the group think, uh, free of the conditioning of everything. Uh, even though being part of the community is very meaningful, the purpose of a sangha is to help you become free. And one way of saying that is to become more yourself. Um, and then that one, of the, one of the wonderful things is when you're more yourself, then it's more interesting to meet other people. If you're more them, what are you meeting when you meet? But if you're more yourself, then two different people are meeting and it gets much more interesting and, and valuable, I think. So uh, a community, the Sangha is a community that we practice with. It's one of the, one of the meanings we have here in the modern West for this term, Sangha. And I know that for me, I could not have practiced without a community of people around me practicing as well. I could not have practiced without people who were practiced longer than me, who kind of gave me a sense and showed me a little bit of the path and encouraged me along the way. Uh, I couldn't have practiced without uh, my teachers who um, uh, encouraged me, who kind of, uh, kind of uh, told me, Gil, you're doing fine, keep going. <laughs> And okay, I'll keep going. But if they had said, you know, we don't know about you, Gil. You know, this is not going so well for you. And, you know, so I don't think I would have, I would have continued. So I had a variety of different uh, people who supported me and helped me. I had a lot of peers and the peer relationships of talking with people and get people getting to know me and getting feedback. And one of the great things in a Buddhist community is to be in conflict with people. At, the, at this uh, recent retreat at IRC, we had uh, two people in the kitchen, um, uh, two of the cooks in conflict. The kitchens are like pressure cookers. Mm-hmm. And um, at the Zen monastery, kitchens are like, you know, at, ta- at Tassajara, the, in the 1960s, back in the young, early days, there are stories of people throwing knives at each other in the kitchen. <laughs> it was, you know, so tempestuous. And... Uh, and uh, so, didn't, so anyway, so we had recently, we had two people. And when they told me, they were kind of like shy and felt like something was terribly wrong. And it's a peaceful place, our retreat center. So, you know, there's, we shouldn't have conflict there. You know, it's, that's not good. We're supposed to be, you know, all get along, be peaceful. And, and I said, this is great. We're designed for this. You know, re- we really organized the retreat only so that uh, you could have conflict in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, because when there's conflict then in, in a Buddhist community... The idea is that, um, is that that's an opportunity 
to talk and to meet and work through what was going on and get to the other side. Every conflict represents some golden opportunity. Every conflict, the more stronger the conflict, the more it's important for the people in conflict, the issue. And the more important it is, the more it's touching something really important deep inside of them. And so there's a chance to kind of meet that and find out what that is and work through it and come to the other side. And, um, and that's what they did. The, the, the two people in conflict, uh, they, were, you know, they came to the teachers and said, oh, you know, I'm having trouble with that person. Each one went to a different teacher, mom and dad or something. And, um, and both teachers said, oh, you have to go talk to each other. And they were very reluctant to talk to each other, but they did. And um, the next day, things were fine. So, um, so I, one of the things I like about it, I hope, my aspiration for a Buddhist community, it's a community that's okay to have conflict in. And no one's going to turn their back on you ever here, but rather we'll meet and discuss and find out. And that, I think, is very liberating. It's very, very supportive and helpful to have a community that has that as a value. And I hope that that's the case because uh, we have this practice, dedication to be honest and to show up and really discover what's here. One of the wonderful things about being community for me was um, to have um, people point out my shortcomings. And... Um, so I would go about, my, go about my day and do my thing and people would say, Gil, have you noticed how often you do this or that? And, and uh, oh no, I hadn't. <laughs> I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, what I, you know. and so people would tell me. And so I would learn about myself and I was lucky that mostly, mostly people talk, told me in kind ways. Um, something close to kind was when... Um, <laughs> When I was the uh, kind of the manager of the kitchen at Tassahar, I remember the kitchen I told you was a really hot place. And this uh, one of my people who was working for under, under me said, Gil, come outside, I need to talk to you. So he went outside in a more private place and he said to me, if you weren't so sincere, I'd punch you out. <laughs> so then I got some feedback. And uh, another time in the kitchen, <clears throat> it was, you know, kitchen was a fun place. Um, there was this wonderful guy, I forget his name, he was an older man, he was kind of a, I remember to think back, kind of a crusty, salty, kind of sailor, direct kind of person, very direct and pointed and older, very mature man. And, and um, so I said something to him in the kitchen and I'd never experienced what I call, what may be called what I, uh, white anger or clean anger. He just turned to me and just kind of let me told me what told me what I, you know what I was doing was off and wrong, <sighs> and then it was over, and then he was like it was completely gone. You know, he didn't carry it, he didn't keep it, he was holding on to it. Was just like, wow, what was that? I was so inspired by that, not to have white anger myself, but but uh, you know, so I I got I got the message, and that was great to get the message, and then he wasn't holding it against me. I thought it was fantastic. So, um, so you know, so sometimes the feedback is kind, sometimes it's strong, sometimes the feedback comes in the form of conflict. But uh, you know, uh, to see or see or to learn about ourselves is good. And then uh, part of the meaning of sangha in Buddhism 
it's, uh, it's the community of people who have witnessed the truth that the Buddha was talking about, who have witnessed for themselves or uh, have uh, experienced for themselves the transformative effects of the practice. And they're no longer the same because of what they've touched and what they've seen, what they've experienced. And, um, and, and so they represent an example of what's possible in this path. And for me, when I saw people who were transformed, changed in some way, or I like the word matured, so it's not like you know, a sudden thing. Um, they matured. It was very meaningful for me and kind of showed me what was possible and showed me a way and gave me encouragement to keep going and all that. And that remains the case for me. Uh, the, uh, the more and more I, I'm encountering people who have spent years of practice and have matured in the practice, and I'm so impressed by them and so inspired by them. And, and uh, it's still to this day, it kind of fuels and encourages me in my practice. And the last meaning of Sangha is uh, the monastic community. And uh, here in the West, we have a very, uh, we have kind of a different relationship to the monastic community that's often been the case traditionally in Asia, to this day, to this day in Asia. And I think the, one of the reasons for the difference is that um, I think uh, for, probably was it true in the, in the West as well, in Europe places, that uh, maybe most societies is that uh, in order for uh, uh, someone to really study and practice a religion deeply, there wasn't, um, people didn't have uh, the luxury or the surplus of assets and money support to be able to go and take a week off and go to Spirit Rock or take two weeks off and go to IRC or, you know, or go down to the community college and take a class on religion or Buddhism or, you know, there, and, and, you know, there weren't places like here where Indonesians come and, and practice like this. And so in order to have the support from society to be, uh, you need support from society to be a monastic and a serious practitioner. Most people then, uh, would, the only thing, one of the main options in the traditional way was to become a monastic. And so the monastics were then the uh, people who practiced deeply, uh, studied deeply, were able to teach it and pass it on down through the generations. And they had a very, very important role. Um, and uh, till, still to this day, they have, they have this role. And uh, as a group, uh, monastics are people, uh, especially here in the Buddhist monastics in the West, are people who are much more, uh, you know, they're full-time practicing all the time. And so some of them, you really feel their maturity and their growth and their strength in the practice because of what they've devoted themselves to. It's quite inspiring. Um, in Asia, it's a little bit different. And that is that uh, most monks and I don't know about nuns, but most monks in Thailand don't meditate. It's a very small, percent, very small percentage. And they don't do much study. And I can say with confidence that we have a higher percentage of people at IMC who meditate regularly and study the Dharma deeply than uh, the percentage of people who do that in the monastic orders in, in Thailand, for example. That's quite something. It's quite a change in the whole territory and all that. Um, and, uh, and we don't, many people, Westerners don't know that often. often. So if a, a Thai monk comes here and he's you know, wearing monks and all that, or Burmese monk or Tibetan monk or anything, uh, we tend to give them a benefit of the doubt and uh, assume that they're enlightened, assume that they're well mature, they're developed, and you know, that they have all these accomplishments and they've done years of meditation practice. And um, they might have never meditated. The, um, 
We had a, a, a monk who had been ordained for seven years. He was, a, he was a Chinese man ordained in a Vietnamese Buddhist tradition. He'd been a monk for seven years, and he came to IRC to sit a retreat. And he said, I've never meditated before. I'm here to learn. So that's kind of a, you know, kind of turns things around. So this idea that, this, that the monastic community is a refuge, I think is a very helpful idea. It's a model of renunciation, a model of dedication. But uh, uh, we don't have to limit ourselves to that. And so I think the, the community of practitioners we have here, you know, in the West, are, are equally a wonderful support for us and involvement for us. So that's a long way of saying that, um, uh, you know, I wanted to offer you some of the things that's meant for me, the importance of community and practice and why I hold it up in high respect. And, um, and also that I think it's very important, this idea of uh, you're not trying to necessarily conform yourself to the community, but you're trying to become an independent person. Uh, one of the great expressions in the suttas is becoming independent in the dharma. The, the mature, becoming a mature practitioner, you become independent in the Dharma. So to stand on your own two feet, be your own person in a sense, and then as your own person to be able to meet. And so this conformity thing is you know, not so important in Buddhism, but community is. One of the places that community is uh, kind of, uh, or a beautiful expression that points to its value is the uh, term, uh, Pali word, kalyanamitta. And kalyana means something like lovely, beautiful, auspicious. And uh, mitta means friend. So a, English is usually translated as a good spiritual friend. And uh, kalyanamitta is uh, your, sometimes it refers to as a teacher. It's kind of very nice that the teacher is called a, your friend, your, your, your wonderful friend, your um, good spiritual friend. Uh, but it's also, uh, we often refer to just our fellow practitioners, that they're all our good spiritual friends. And it's very important to have good spiritual friends that we're in, communi- in communication with, that we know, we talk to, we are supported by, we explore the Dharma together with. So here we are. We're a group of people who've come together to explore the refuges. And so we have a little community here for these, these weeks. And I thought it would be nice now for uh, you to form little groups, uh, to talk a little bit. Um, I don't, I don't want to give you something too specific to talk about. I want you to find your own way here with, uh, with the, each of you. But uh, it could be you talking about your response to what I've said so far. But your personal response, how it is for you and what does that uh, evoke in you. Um, but maybe more useful in terms of this exploration of refuge, in what, in what way you understand that um, uh, other practitioners, other people who practice, um, can be a support for you, can be uh, a place of support for your practice and your engagement in your in this. How do you understand others? And some of you maybe haven't been around many people, other practitioners, so you don't have a lot of experience with that. But uh, maybe you have some ideas how you'd like it to be. And your aspirations, your wishes for this might be important to speak as well. Does that seem okay? So I would like to suggest that you break into groups of four. And, uh, and uh, rather, I don't want to have any particular form for the, you know, any form or any structure for it, 
except uh, please be careful that everyone has a chance to speak. So when, when you speak, um, don't, each time you have your turn to speak, don't speak for a long time. Uh, just, you know, say, and don't say everything you possibly could say, like go through the list and everything. It, you know, it's enough to say like one thing, one thing clearly. Let someone else speak, and when it comes back to you, you can say something else, you know, your next piece. And that way everyone kind of, kind of not only everyone has a chance, but more important, um, everyone has a chance to hear from each other, and as you hear from each other, you'll be affected by them, and you'll think about new things and stretch you in new ways. So if you can form groups of four, and you can begin. Maybe we could have a few words. Uh, what was that like for some of you? It's kind of nice to, because each group probably had a little different flavor. And nice to hear a little bit different, different people, different impressions or experiences of that conversation. My name's Mary Ellen, and um, in our group, we talked a bit about how in coming to IMC, I should say for myself, um, the strength of it for me has been the Buddha and the Dharma, and the Sangha has been something that I have a little more difficulty kind of breaking into, if you will, or feeling the strength of the Sangha. And so I think sometimes that's me. It's not that I'm shy, but sometimes it's also the setup. You know, yes. it's like hard to feel um, what you talk about, where you come in and you feel yourself mirrored back. Right. That doesn't happen as much in the kind of construct that we have here. It's true. Yeah. It's uh, one of the shortcomings of this place, is it's, 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 uh, and one of its strengths, yeah. that people can come. Some people literally have come for years... And never talk to anyone, and I haven't. I don't even recognize them. They sit way back there in the corner in the back, and and uh, and uh, I'm so surprised when someone says, "I've been coming regularly for seven years." You know, and as, as, as someone came to me recently and said, "I've been coming here periodic regularly since the Palo Alto days, and I've never talked to you. This is the first time." So, anyway, what I was trying to say, some people like it that way. Yeah, I agree, and, and, and I, I, I feel such gratitude for the Buddha part and the Dharma part that I can't tell you, and I, I've been coming for seven years. Okay. I think I've talked to you twice, <laughs> but, and it was very rewarding. But, um, you know, I, I feel very much that this is home yes. in, a, in a Sangha way, but then when you describe some of your experiences, yeah. I, I don't think it's set up to have that happen easily here, and you're agreeing, so... Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, I would like us to do better. And periodically we try different things, but um, it's, uh, and, you know, certain things work better. I mean, we have the potlucks on Sundays. We have the Dharma practice, Dharma practice days on Fridays, which are a little bit like this kind of format where people break into groups. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes on Monday or Sunday we break into groups right then and there. 
Uh, if you have ideas of how we could do better, let me know. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for all of this. So it is quite a refuge. <laughs> right, right behind you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Bonnie. Um, one of the ideas that we talked about in our group was the fact that there's a way to get a name tag made for you, but nobody wears their name tags. So very <laughs> few people wear their name tags unless they're a volunteer yeah, for, the, yeah. for the evening or the day. So um, I've decided I'm going to start wearing my name tag. Wonderful. I'd really appreciate it if other people yeah. would too. <laughs> and I don't know if we still have a way of making I mean, it's true we have the box there that says we can make it, but does anybody really make them anymore? It's been there for... What? Is the other mic available, too? I, I was just smiling because I was having a discussion with Hillary about name tags today, and she really wants to um, reactivate it. And I was saying, oh, maybe it's just you, Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's the second person. So I'll, I'll, yeah, all right. If you want to, we could work together with Hillary to uh, revitalize the name tag. So Great. You want to? That'd be nice. Thank you. Yeah. Any other impressions about the conversation? Anything you'd like to say coming out of it? Maybe say your name before you start. Everyone's. Hi, I'm Lindsay. <laughs> Um, I, we were just talking in our group. I mentioned I thought it was great that the name of this class was Taking Refuge because that's exactly how this center felt to me and the song it felt to me when I came here. Mm. I felt like I was in the outside world floundering and looking for the right people and the right path. Yeah. <laughs> and just the sangha and the people here are so much a part of what keeps me coming. You know, like sometimes I'll fall out of my practice and I'll listen to one of your talks online and boom, I'm back. Or, <laughs> you know, I come here and have lunch on Wednesday for the half day and hear an amazing story about someone's practice and boom, right back here. And so I just think it's amazing to have all these people that can interact and really inspiring stories when you talk to people. Mm, nice, great, thank you. Well, I just had this insight while I'm sitting here is that I've done a lot of things about changing my life over the years. And so I was, um, I did 12 step for a number of years. I, I was part of a men's group for a long time and each of those organizations, I ended up volunteering a lot and actually taking a lot of leadership roles. And part of that was that after years I, 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 I dove deep, I got good at what I was doing and there was a, like this void there. There wasn't a leadership in there. And one of the nice things I've, I've actually, I've been one of those guys who've been here for nine years, kind of in and out, <laughs> off in the corner a lot. Um, and um, that the leadership here is over, all of it is so outstanding that, it, that there's always, like, I don't have that pull to, to, to lead something because it's like, <laughs> I just want to sit back and watch what you're doing and emulate more what you're doing in my little corner in the back. <laughs> That's nice, thank you. Sometimes the uh, impression from my side of it is not quite as... <laughs> we don't quite have the leadership we should. <laughs> but it's, it's true, it seems to work overall. So, um, 
Strange. Well, thank you. Um, so I have this uh, sign-up sheet here. I don't know if, uh, if some of you weren't here last week to sign up for the ceremony. When you end, you could come up here and put your name on it very clearly. And um, so, uh, you know, we probably it would have been nice to do a much longer refuge class and really go into it in more, more depth, both from the Buddhist side and what it all could mean, and, but also the personal side. But this is what we have. And, uh, but if, uh, I'd like to now kind of open it up to hear if there's any questions any of you would like to ask about this or concerns you have or anything that's going to open the floor more widely. And as, as uh, always, please say your name when you... Meredith, I was, I think we were just curious, what do the Thai monks do during the day if they don't meditate? Say I can't hear. What do the Thai monks do if they oh. don't meditate? Oh, During, like we were just curious. That came up. Oh, they do you know all kinds of things. Some some of them are, do social work. Uh, they do they, some of them do social work, or they take care of the people in the temple. They'll, there's a lot of people that come in uh, to the temple for all kinds of things, and they're attending to their pastoral needs. Some of them are are just lazy. They don't do anything. <laughs> they sit and, uh, and they they smoke and watch TV and. You know, and they'll do some ceremonies when people come. There's some, there's some like that for sure, and um, and uh, so you know, it's kind of the whole range, you know, of, of what you can imagine goes on. Some of it ends up in the newspapers. <laughs> Hi, my name is Margie. Um, I had a question, something that you said last week. You said um, there's two different ways to take refuge. One was um, the traditional way in the Buddha, and the other one was the more spiritual way. And my question is, do they become one without the other? Or, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't quite wrap my hand okay, great. around that. Yeah, yeah. The, the word I used was customary and, uh, and then more spiritual. And... Uh, uh, they can they, they they can both operate in people's lives, or they can just be one or the other. Sometimes, uh, some people uh, uh, might be born into a Buddhist family, and it's just an automatic thing they do. You know, just like they take refuge, and I'm a Buddhist, and and it's just a custom. And they don't they never gave it much thought what's behind it, and um, they haven't really been transformed by it. They haven't really gotten into the teachings, the practices, any kind of depth. It's just I'm a Buddhist. This is what I do, and that's more customary. And then there's people for whom don't want to get close to the refuges, like it just stinks of religion, you know. And I'm not religious, you know, and I'm not going to get close. And but but they've been transformed uh, by their experience, their contact. They're inspired by the Buddha, they're inspired by the Dharma, they're inspired by the community, but they don't want to do anything that looks religious. They don't even call themselves Buddhists, and so they, their their sense of refuge is more something. The reference, the reference point is their own transformation and change that's mirrored in those people. and So some people just do that. And I think, um, uh, you know, I think it's quite rich and meaningful to do both. Um, but though I think generally Buddhists don't care if you're a Buddhist. <laughs> generally, I think. It's not that important. Um, um, the, um, I think that... Uh, but, you know, it, 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 you know, it's just a label... That's there for convenience sake. Uh, it, it tells people something about what's important for you. Um, you know, so 
you could say, you know, they, they could ask you, what, what, what kind of religion, what, what religion you are you? I'm not any particular religion, but um, I only read Buddhist books, I only have Buddhist friends, I go, <laughs> I, I look at the Buddhist TV channel, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, I meditate a lot, and I really like Buddhist practices, and Dalai Lama's my hero, and, and, but I'm not a Buddhist. <laughs> you know, by the time you've said all that, it, you've kind of lost them. And all these, they just want to know something simple, it's, you know, I'm a Buddhist, you know. Or if you get, you get admitted to the hospital and they ask what religion you are and you give that long list of all the things you do and, you know, it's not going to help the hospital. Um, and, you've, and if you say no religion, you know, it's, that, that may be okay. But if you write Buddhist, then it might, you might be lucky enough to get a nice Buddhist chaplain come see you. And it's kind of nice. You have a chat with them and it's kind of nice and it's not so dangerous. <laughs> so it's a convenience. Yes, Nina. I am thinking how I can integrate uh, some of what I have heard you uh, share about the refugees, and in particularly, what I'm understanding is is to, in some way, tailor it to what feels, um, to what feels okay in some way. So for me, that's that's a little bit different from um, my upbringing, which was, you know, the Catholic um, kind of lineage where there were the Ten Commandments. So in some way, <laughs> as I think about the refugees. It's sort of like the Ten Commandments come, and it's sort of like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. I, you know, can I? I am not that pure. <laughs> I'm a human, and I will be. I will be. I'm, I'm thinking. Well, do no harm. I'm imagining that's like, do not harm deliberately. <laughs> you know, like some of those things are coming up to me. Yeah. And and. Um, I think you have already shared, but there's a part of me that's still, oh, wondering. I am not certain how to, there's a part of me that understands, and then there's a part of me that wants to be faithful to it. It's sort of like this Ten Commandments yeah, yeah. situation. Again, you know, like it's knocking on the, on the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so I think it's, you said it, you explained it very well, and so that's part of your you know, your conditioning that you have to become aware of and work through and understand. And um, so some of this I've said already, but um, like the five precepts are, are, you know, negative things. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, right? But the way it's worded is, I undertake the training not to harm. And the idea is a training. That doesn't mean you have to be good at it yet. <laughs> but, but ideally, you know, you take it on sincerely that this is the direction you want to go. You want to, you want to become good at it. So it's not like a black and white thing. Like you're not going to, lightning's not going to strike. You know, and you, you know, you're, it's, uh, you're not damned. Um, but uh, it, it, is, it is really uh, meaningful to train in that direction. That's where, you, that's where you're headed. And you're going to do the best you can. hard to believe, right? It's hard. 
the what came out to my mind is, and there is no punishment, right? <laughs> <laughs> there is punishment in Buddhism. They don't use that word, um, but there's, it doesn't come from the outside. It's your karma. It's your conscience. It's you know, it's your, you know, what what you carry with you is a memory and all that. So there is there is a cause and effect, but it doesn't come from someone who who administers it. Over here, yeah. The, the green green light. Um. As far as the trainings go, just I wanted to share that uh, I think Thich Nhat Hanh's five mindfulness trainings is a really good kind of reference that you might find useful. It's just like be mindful of all these things. Just start there, you know, and like be aware of how what you're doing affects everybody and everything else, like um, our whole interbeing and how when I do this with my sexual energy, instead of directing it healthily, then... I'm affecting people, you know, or my family or whatever. So it's like a really good, uh, I think it's a good thing to read if anybody wants to Google it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he has a great, he has a great, his, his, uh, just his writing about the precepts are great. He has a great book about the precepts. It's called For a Future to be Possible. Any other thoughts and concerns? So the date for the ceremony, which is next uh, Wednesday night, uh, was chosen because that's the full moon of May. And that's considered to be the, uh, the most important holiday or the day for Theravada Buddhists. It's called the uh, Visak, Visak. And uh, it's a day that commemorates the Buddha's birth, the Buddha's enlightenment, and the Buddha's uh, dying. So, you know, it's kind of convenient. It's a very efficient religion, you know. It's all rolled into one day. <laughs> and, um, and, so, uh, and so, down through the centuries, uh, the full moon has been a time when uh, the monastic communities and the lay people around the monastics would gather for meditation, for teachings, for ceremonies. And um, then one of the most common things they would do in those full moon gatherings was uh, chant the refuges and the precepts. The, um, the, um, uh, and, then the, and then particularly significant is this full moon of May. And uh, one of the reasons I like to celebrate it at this particular time is because we don't do the refuge ceremony in isolation. We do it in the context of a tradition of people who have been doing it for centuries and centuries. And uh, to a certain degree, you're participating in a lineage, you're participating in a, in a stream, a flow of humanity, of people who found tremendous value in the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha. And... Um, and have become be- uh, better people because of it, and better people for the world that we live in. And the hope is that, you know, that we participate in this stream of goodness, so that uh, 
the goodness of the Dharma uh, comes through us and it's something that we offer into the world, that we, we let the stream continue, like passing it on through us so that more goodness gets created in the world and passes on into the future. So it's kind of symbolic that we do at that, you know, the full moon of May. Um, so, so I'll repeat again the kind of things you need to know for next week. Uh, so uh, we'll have a potluck, and um, so tonight that's our community get together. So hopefully you can come to the potluck part. And uh, the potluck will start at six thirty. That's when we'll start eating. Um, but it'd be nice to have a few people who come at six to just set up the tables and the chairs and just kind of get ready. Are there a few volunteers who would be willing to come early? That's a lot of you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so do we just let you all come and just be community together? Yeah. It just comes nice, right? Get cozy and come. And if you do it quickly, you can talk. And... <laughs> Especially you. Talk to her. <laughs> and uh... Yes, yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I, when you brought it up, I thought we should do it next week. Let's have na- name tags. I think we have them here. We can check. I think it's nice so we kind of get imprinted with the names. It's hard for me to remember names. And um, so we'll have a potluck and then, um, and then we'll have the ceremony and there's different elements to the ceremony and what you need to know mostly will be explained to you as you go along. But uh, 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 bring at least one flower. One flower is enough, which could be, could be bouquet if you like. And that'll, uh, at some point we'll offer that to the Buddha and we'll have all these flowers here. And, um, and then um, if you could also bring two candles Ideally, an unsc- unscented candles, and uh, one of them will be a gift of light to the Buddha, and that will we'll actually light that here, and we'll have a, a full of uh, lit candles here. It's quite beautiful, and one will be a gift to me, and uh, and then um, uh, when, you, when it's part of the ceremony is come up here and and give me the candle, and uh, I'll I'll give you. Um, something in, I don't know for return, but I'll also give you some things as part of the ceremony. And the candles need to be unscented? Ideally, yeah. This is the first time I've asked for that, but um, it's, uh, you know, my wife says, gee, all those candles, you know, and they're, they're, we have a small house. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so, um, And uh, you're welcome to invite friends if you'd like to have people that kind of be present and for it. Um, uh, I'll pass out uh, part of it. There's these protection cords, or these, these refuge cords, these red things that uh, we'll pass on and put on for the ceremony. And um, you can uh, keep it on as long as you wish. You can take it home. You take it off when you get home, before you get home, if you want. <laughs> um, and um, or you can ke- or you can keep it on until it falls off, as you wish. It would be nice, yes, potluck. So, so if everybody, if you can bring some food to share, that would be great. And um, and then, uh, you know, we, last week we kind of did the chant, and uh, there'll be a chant sheet you'll have. So those of you who don't know the chants can just have the sheet and chant along. But there's one chant that, uh, that I have introduced to you, which we'll do as part of the ceremony, and that's the Pali way, the ancient Buddhist way of um, saying or chanting, "May all beings be happy." And uh, so it's actually, it's four words. We'll say it, we'll do it in the Pali language, the ancient language. 
it's four words. So um, um, all, it's in the order in which the syntax of that language. So all is saba. Saba. And, um, and then uh, beings is sata. Sata. Suki. Suki means uh, happy. Suki. Yeah. <laughs> you know someone named Suki? <laughs> what? Good, yeah. And um, hontu means hontu. Uh, means something like um, may they be. So it's sabe. No, I said saba, right? It's sabe, the way it's chanted. It's sabe, sata, suki, hontu. So sabe, sata, suki, hontu. Sabe, sata, suki, hontu. Great. So, th- so. Um, uh, that'll also be in your chant sheet, but you'll get it quickly again. You did well. And so that'll be part of the ceremony, chanting that for a while. That's part of it. And um, so, any other questions or concerns before we end tonight? Yes. I think Hontu means free. Sorry? I think hontu means to be free. To be free? Happy uh, and free. To be free? Maybe. Uh, I think, I think it, there needs to be a verb in the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the verb at the end, may they be. But may, it might, may also mean to be free. May they be free. There, there, is, there is a chant. I mean, the, the longer, sometimes the longer versions of uh, this metta chant includes uh, may, may, may people... May beings be, uh, may all beings be uh, happy. May be safe. May they be at ease. May they be free. So the free is in there, but I don't think they use the word hantu. But I could check. Oh yes. I just want to double check for the potluck. Yeah. Should we bring only vegetarian that dishes? Would be, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. If you if you know if, if someone does bring meat, uh, we're gracious. It's okay, but uh, the prefer- preference is vegetarian. Um, uh, I just felt like saying, um, yeah, I was thinking about okay, we're going to do this. I'm kind of it's a week away, <laughs> and should I do something to get ready? You know, I was thinking about it, and what I came to is just. Uh, um, not in a big, you know, militaristic way, but just try to, uh, like, clean my living space and get things calmed down. If there's a financial thing I have to work out, get it worked out. Like, I just want to say, I, I feel like I want to go into it, just, you know, get clear things up as I can in my life and kind of clean things. That's great. I just had that feeling like, what, am, what are we doing? You know, what am, what am I doing next week? You know, I'm like sort of panicky, you know. I thought, well, that's, that's the way I want to do it. I don't, I don't completely understand what I'm doing. I have to say that. But um, I thought, well, how do I want to do it? I just want to, you know, kind of like afterwards come back to... But, you know, a long time ago you talked about like when they build a baseball field and then the people come and you're saying sort of like Buddhism is sort of like that. Yeah. Like you, you kind of build the field. That's what I thought. I think... I'm not sure what we're doing next week, but I thought I would just build a good field around me to do it. Yeah. 
Okay. So, 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 and, 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 and I appreciate a lot what you said. All, everything, and, and, and preparing and creating the field and preparing yourself and getting things in order and calm down. Some people like to put on really clean clothes and, you know, just get ready and really make it nice. So it's very good. Um, and, and this thing about, you know, you're not quite knowing what you're doing is actually quite wise to have that attitude. You know, we don't know completely what we're doing, you know. And um, um, so that's nice. Um, but what I want to say to you is that, if I may, is that uh, you, uh, you have a long, years, years, years of involvement in Buddhism where you didn't have a clue what you were doing. You know, you know more now than you used to. And, and so I, 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 want, I want to just kind of, uh, 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 kind of um, um, uh, affirm or, or celebrate or, or somehow uh, encourage you or recognize that you actually know something too. Uh-huh. And, you, and much more than you used to. Uh-huh. <laughs> because you, right? I think it's more like, it's not like you know something, but you allow something bigger to open. Great. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, that's right, yeah, okay. Well, see, she knows something. <laughs> so it took a while to get it out, but now we got it. <laughs> I said, you do know something. It, it took a while to get it out, but that's that was very well said. <laughs> Good, that was great. Yeah, so, so that, that's my, that would be wonderful if this, going through the ceremony allows for some new possibility, something wonderful and wholesome and good. But, you, you know, you, you, couldn't have, you couldn't have anticipated it. It's just kind of like stepping into a new room and get to discover what's there. So, thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Oh, yeah, so if you didn't sign last week, please uh, sign the sheet here. <laughs>